0: reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado.
1: Using an overpriced trash bag? Pricey, pricey, pricey! pricey.
0: A bag that breaks? Whippy, wimpy, wimpy! Or a smelly bag? Stinky, stinky, stinky! You gotta snag Hefty's Ultra Strong Trash Bag,
1: always at an ultra-low price. Hefty, hefty, hefty! It has Arm & Hammer odor control, so your nose and your wallet will be... Happy, happy, happy! Hefty, ultra-strong trash bags. Hefty, strong, all day long.
0: This is the Cubs Related Podcast, presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. As always, I am joined by Brendan, and we are coming to you on another Monday morning. And guys, I hate to say it, but... Nothing has happened yet. It's, it's another one of those weeks. Uh, each week, Brendan, when we finish recording, I, I really hope, like, all right, next time, we're really going to have something to talk about. They're going to do yeah, something. Next week's going to be our week. Somebody's <laughs> going to do something, or the Cubs are going to do something, and we're going to really have something to talk about. But uh, – other than some arbitration, uh, pre-arbitration signings, rather, uh, that's about all we have. And so we will touch on that, the Cubs avoiding arbitration with all seven of their candidates and agreeing to terms. So we will break those down, kind of go through, uh, you know, what that arbitration process is and making sense of it a little bit. We will also talk about a David Bode trade rumor that has elicited some passionate response uh, on social media that I've seen Uh some, some very adamant takes as to whether, uh, the Cubs should be interested in, in trading David Bodie, And we, uh, Brendan, I wanted to start just by, uh, pointing a couple things out, some, some scheduling notes here for the Cubs. Uh, firstly, as we record this, it is a uh, Sunday, but you guys, of course, as always listening on Monday morning, we are 29 days, if you were listening to this on Monday, from the Chicago Cubs arriving in MESA for spring training. So I know that this has been a very long off-season marred in inactivity, but they're going to be playing baseball soon. We're going to be we are right there for uh you know watching the the pitchers throwing some bullpens in that in that Cactus League. Sun the the throwing drills, Following BP keywords, new swing. I, exactly. I mean, we are right there. So, we are right yeah. on the cusp. I know the, the the NFL playoffs still in full swing here. Uh snowing in Chicago, but Soon enough, the Cubs are going to be suiting up and getting ready for the 2019 season. And with that, I wanted to ask you, Brendan, uh, can our listeners—they they all know neither of us uh, live in full-time—in uh, Chicago, at least full-time, uh, though I am there sometimes. Uh, but it does beg the
1: question, should anybody expect to see us at CubsCon? I'm not a CubsCon guy. I, I will say, look, if someone gave me the tickets, I'm going— but I'm not going to fly out to Chicago, spend – how much do tickets even cost? Like $80, $100, whatever it is? No clue. Yeah, I have no idea. I'm not, I'm not going to necessarily do that. I, I tend to try to avoid those massive crowds anyway. I'd rather just like spend money, go to spring training. And by the way, this spring, follow your favorite baseball teams to Arizona for all those Cactus League spring training games. Amazing weather, landscapes, exciting outdoor adventure – Incredible food. Arizona is the perfect home for baseball. Follow your baseball teams within a 50-mile radius all within Arizona. So all those 10 stadiums, you can basically get there within a 30-minute drive, essentially. And even if you're in Mesa, you can go to Scottsdale. You can go watch the Diamondbacks, the Giants, the Rockies, the Cubs, all within like basically five miles. And you can check out amazing restaurants and bars nearby, including tons of craft breweries like Four Peaks, Angel's Trumpet Ale House, and Goldwater Brewing Company. And explore the Arizona outfield. It's known for its incredible landscapes and thrilling outdoor adventures. Hit the road and explore Arizona's urban centers, ghost towns, artsy communities, and quirky outposts. Plan your spring training getaway at visitarizona.com slash spring training. Yeah,
0: the the quick answer there is no. Neither of us will be there. And a uh, little trivia for you. Neither of us have ever been there, so I don't know if that uh really kills the mystique for some of you that you know you have about us but uh, I don't know if that's a knock on our on our Cubs fandom card that we've never attended, but yeah, never been um yeah like like you just not necessarily the biggest crowd guy uh, and at least over the last few years. Spent an awful lot of time and money at Wrigley Field uh, cheering on these boys, so I don't really need to pile into uh, a hotel or convention center to to do that. But everybody that goes, uh, you know, I know Evan will be there from Cubs Insider. I know Brett from Bleacher Nation and his crew always go. And they always, uh, you know, have a great time. And it, it, it does seem like a lot of fun, but uh, Brendan and I just have never... Pulled the trigger. So if you are going, I hope you have a great time. And, uh, you know, I know there's a lot of different events and a lot of, I, I think, things to accomplish there. I know some people go, you know, primarily for the autograph. Some people go to listen to the different panels and, you know, just having a chance to see these guys speak and do some interviews in person. Uh, but whatever you're going for, I hope it's a good time. Uh, usually everybody that goes has a great time. So, uh, if you are going, Send us some pics if anything interesting is going on. If you see Bryce Harper sneaking in through a back door, like we would really appreciate a heads up (laughs) on that. Into a
1: Starbucks like Theo.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but, uh, yeah, uh, have a good time. But, yeah, Brendan and I will not be there. Maybe one year Brendan and I will uh, be hosting this podcast live at CubsCon, but I wouldn't be holding my breath on that. Uh, And I imagine if we did start doing that, the police would be on us in a couple seconds. But, (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, uh, enough hypotheticals. Uh, so let's get into these, uh, pre-arbitration deals. So obviously, it's it's been a thing throughout Theo Epstein's uh, tenure, especially here in Chicago, that he does not go to arbitration, I believe. Is Justin Grimm still the lone exception to that, Brendan? Yeah, I think Justin
1: Grimm was the only one to ever go to arbitration with the Cubs while Theo's been the, uh, the president.
0: Yeah. So typically, uh, Theo and crew try to meet with their players and their agents beforehand, exchange the relevant figures and deal with this kind of mediation in-house rather than uh, putting it to an arbiter. And I think we've talked about this a lot, but a a general explanation basically of the arbitration process, uh, it it kind of would take a little longer to explain just the MLB contract structure. Uh, But in general, you know, these players after a certain amount of time can their arbitration eligible in terms of what their salary is and what kind of raise they get from season to season and the way that that is done if it goes to arbitration is the player side and the team side will <laughs> present their their ask or what they think the salary should be and you know then it's uh, decided on by an arbiter someone in the middle who listens to the cases and and ultimately decides where the salary should land. And uh, I do speak uh, from experience on this. One of uh, the the interesting areas where I get to sound sort of accomplished in my life, Brendan, uh, but I have worked on arbitration cases before. Uh, David Robertson for the New York Yankees was all my handiwork uh, back in, I think, the 2013-2014 offseason. So if you go and look at that uh, whatever that was, it was me putting it together. So, and basically, what it is is you look at players uh, in similar positions who were also in uh you know a year where they were getting a raise, and you look at what their raise was and compare the stats. So basically, uh, you know, for Robertson at the time, we put together a big portfolio of other relief pitchers who were similar to him in terms of their statistics and looked at what their salary was for the given year and then the raise they ultimately got. And if they were better than Robertson, then Robertson couldn't ask for more money than them or he wouldn't get more money than them. Um, And, you know, that's basically how it works. And it's a weird process, Brendan, because as the league and front offices and everything move forward in terms of how they evaluate players, these processes amongst Major League Baseball, similar to how, you know, they kind of present voting for the All Star game, if you will. They're, they're still done with a lot of counting stats. Uh, you know, so in Robertson's case a few years ago, he didn't get that many saves. So if there were other relievers that had racked up 15, 20, 30 saves, Robertson was not going to be getting more money than them. That's just how it works. Um, You know, in a year where someone has 60 RBIs, if somebody the last year, had 100, then they're probably not going to make more money than that person unless the rest of the numbers are, you know, really not comparable. So that's generally how it works. And it's important, I, I'm sort of running through all this because it's important to note that because I think basically everybody on this list, uh, some, I guess, a little debatable, but Most of the guys on this list are not really making the amount of money that they should be making. If they were free agents right now, they would be making more money, but that's just how this process works and how the Major League Baseball contract structure and process works. So uh, we'll get to, I think Javi Baez is a good example, but there's a reason that his salary is so low, even though if he were a free agent getting paid only on his 2018 season, He'd obviously be making a lot more money. So let me just run through these and I'll read their 2018 salary just so you can, uh, get an idea of what the raise was, you know, from, from these years. So Chris Bryant, uh, 10.8 in 2018. He is bumped up to 12.9 for 2019. Kyle Hendricks, 4.1. Bumped up to seven point four for the twenty nineteen season. Javi Baez, which I think is the one that we'll end up spending a little time talking on, he was getting paid six hundred thousand dollars in twenty eighteen. So if you want to talk about uh, getting your money's worth for a player, uh, the Cubs certainly did that last year with Javier Baez. In twenty nineteen, he will be making five point three million dollars. Addison Russell made three point two million in twenty eighteen. In twenty nineteen a $200,000 increase, uh, a very odd situation there that, to be honest with you, I'm not even positive I can explain, but they built in to part of this contract that he can recoup some of uh, the, the money that maybe he otherwise would have gotten uh, for his 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 raise this year in arbitration, if not obviously for uh, his domestic violence suspension. And That has raised some suspicion amongst people as to why he's even being afforded the opportunity to recoup that money, Uh, but it's an interesting contract that I'm not really fully sure I can uh, offer the full thought on, but Kyle Schwarber – going from also $600,000 to $3.4 million for 2019. Mike Montgomery, also around $600,000 in 2018. He's going to get around $2.5 million in 2019. And the last one is Carl Edwards Jr., who is making also just a little under $600,000 in 2018. He'll be making $1.5 million in 2019. And worth noting, I think, just a little bit, that the projections that we had seen on various sites such as MLB trade rumors and stuff that put these arbitration uh, estimates together, it seems like the Cubs are a little under what people thought. So take it for what it's worth. Obviously, those are just projections. But it, you know, the, in, in an offseason where all we're hearing about is the Cubs saving money, it seems like this arbitration was, uh, not necessarily as bad for them in terms of the finances as maybe we all thought. Not by a big margin, but at least a little bit of a margin. So some interesting stuff there. Like I said, I think Baez is the most interesting one, obviously coming off a year where he was second in the MVP voting for the National League. Uh, and, you know, we'll only be making $5.3 million. So I think that's obviously something that you know, people are going to look at and and they're going to be curious about. Uh, but again, like I said, really, especially those top three players, Chris Bryant is worth well more, mighty, maybe even close to three times what he's going to be making next year at $12 million. Kyle Hendricks also worth way more than $7.4 million. Javi worth way more than 5.3. But again, that's how this system works. So Brendan, now that this is done and over with, uh, and we kind of have this last level of payroll mystery uh, aside from whatever's going on with the front office and the ownership that we've been hearing all offseason. But there's nothing really left for them to do. There's no more money that they need to be putting out that that we're waiting to figure out exactly how much it's going to be. So any thoughts on that or, in particular, any of these raises that these guys got? Javi, again, coming in at the highest raise uh, of $4.64 million uh, from the previous season.
1: Yeah, nothing really comes as a surprise. Like you were saying, it's good to see that the projections were a little bit higher than what they got. It's probably not going to make a difference in terms of their pursuit of, you know, Manny Machado or Bryce Harper or whatever, given that Theo has explicitly said the 2019 luxury tax will not affect their free agent decisions. Now, whether or not you want to believe that is up to you, but that's what Theo is saying. Um... Two players that I am surprised about. One is Javi. I thought he would get more. I mean, remember Chris Bryant, guys, his first arbitration, he broke the record partially because, one, he won an MVP in his second pre-arb year, so that's likely why. But, I mean, Javi finished second, and he's making half of what uh, Bryan ended up getting for his first arbitration race, so consider that. Uh, the second surprising one is, is Addison. I thought Russell, given the suspension, probably still would have gotten around $4 million, kind of what the projection said, but he's still getting um, hes getting about 10% less than what was projected. And so there's a few thought processes there, one of which is that makes him more appealing to teams in trades if the Cubs do decide to part with him, and, and two, if the Cubs do decide to keep him then it will be a, a relatively cheaper option. Again, Russell is going to miss the first 26 games because of domestic violence uh suspensions. So we'll see what happens there. Outside of those two players, nothing's really surprising. I think Kendrick's got what we all expected. I think Montgomery, you know, those guys, those lower-level guys like C.J. Edwards, they kind of got what was to be expected. And at the very least, it's one more milestone in the offseason. And now teams maybe can shift their focus towards exclusively that free asian pool which is like what 70 percent still unsigned so again i guess the, at the very least it now shifts focus towards that free asian pool Corey,
0: yeah
1: i, I agree with you because again it's like at least the
0: cubs now know the full scape of okay here's the money that we have committed And again, we don't know what the internal budget may be, if indeed there is one, as we've been hearing, you know, basically since October. But, you know, now you know, okay, this is what we have committed. If we know internally what the budget is, this is the space we have. This is the space we have to clear if it's, you know, if they're already over that number and, you know, you don't have any more money that you need to be giving out. Um, I, I didn't really have any, you know, I think big thoughts on this. Uh, this is all pretty standard arbitration stuff, I think, as far as most of this goes. Um, you know, and again, like, I think if you're going into these
1: process processes with the expectation that these guys are going to be paid. And just to add one more note there with Ho- yeah, with Javi, because it was his first major arbitration, it does set the baseline for future years. I mean, I think a good example is that Chris Bryant raise, right? So he goes from around 10 million to 12 million, 20% increase. And even if KB was healthy, maybe he gets upwards to a 50% increase. And so, what that means in Javi's second arbitration year, you can expect maybe him to make around like seven to nine million next year, depending on how well he performs. I mean, if he has another MVP year, then we're talking differently, but it, we'll see. But what I'm trying to say is predictably, not only does the front office have an idea of what to expect going into 2019, but now they have the foundation, the baseline to project 2020, mm-hmm. 2021 and so on, which does give them a better idea of how much they can spend on like a Bryce Harper, Manny Machado, or even like an AJ Pollock if they decide to go that route.
0: Yeah. And, you know, one thing I just, I just wanted to at least suggest i don't know exactly what the dollar difference would be but I'll, I'll tell you straight up that it matters that javi didn't win the mvp the the difference between oh, winning 100%. it and coming in second is dollars and i i i can't say that it you know it's not like his his raise would have been double or anything like that but he would have made more money had he act you know won he the would MVP.
1: hundred percent cory did you hear that one mookie Bet story from I last didn't. year maybe not So Mookie Betts went into arbitration last offseason and he had kind of a down year before he did that, before he won the MVP this year. But the this is kind of funny, the Red Sox argument against Betts during that hearing was showing Chris Bryant's videos, (laughs) like his highlight videos, kind of to suggest, hey, this is what an MVP is, and which is hilarious. So like these teams go to weird measures to to For make sure. their points, and yeah, like if you're if you're on Javi his camp, he won the MVP. He's going to make nine ten million dollars, and yeah, that's a huge a huge salary relief from the Cubs' point of view. Again, not just from 2019, but future years because of those races. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it, it does it is worth noting too,
0: especially because you brought up the the Mookie Betts thing, and we've seen some of these contentious. uh hearings and and arguments before i think it was uh Dylan Batances was the most recent like whoa yeah. this is kind of a toxic uh situation yeah. with with the yankees ownership and stuff though that obviously doesn't seem to have affected you know his relationship with the team and his uh you know standing with the team but it's good that you know, there there's a reason that Theo tries to get this done before that, and it's good that they're able to do this. Um, it, it does reflect that there is at least a good relationship with these players, the agents, and the front office. It may not be perfect, because even when they're exchanging figures, you know, they may send Javi's team a figure that they laugh at, like, oh, come on, you know. <laughs> But yeah. it, it does represent that at least they're trying to have these conversations amongst themselves and, and get it settled. And they did. And they almost always do. And I think that's, that's a good thing. And we should feel good about that from the front office's perspective. Um, you know, because especially too, it, it is reflective that there's communication going on. And it, it, it's, it's reflective that it's possible that, you know, these players have an understanding of, How Theo plans to treat them going forward in terms of their contracts. It's very possible that amongst these talks, you know, the, the Baez camp understands. This process and what is a realistic number to ask, but you know they talk about things like okay, but you know before we we come to an agreement here, we, you know we want to talk about what Javi's role is going to be or what are the what are what are the possibilities that there's an extension in the future that has more money than this, and they can talk about all that. And and again, the fact that they're amicably coming to these agreements and we're not hearing any, uh, really for years we haven't heard this. They don't go to arbitration. We don't ever hear about big contentious arguments between. Theo and these agents and guys that are pissed off about how much they're getting paid. It seems like everything is uh, goes well in these discussions. So that, at least from that perspective, um, it is a good thing. You want these guys to have good relationships and feel like they're getting treated as fairly as they can in a system that is sort of set up for these younger guys and these guys who are you know, still on these uh, arbitration-level deals. You know that it doesn't necessarily—it's not set up to treat them as, uh, you know, by paying them market value. But the team can still do things to kind of mitigate that, I guess. So,
1: and it does make a difference. I, I think any the Cubs have signed a free agent in the last few years, one of the reasons that they say they signed with the Cubs is because how the front office treats their player or uh, their families. And the personal side of things. So I think it does make a difference. And even just before these guys hit arbitration, they were giving them raises. They were giving them pre-arbitration raises when they didn't need to. So after they won the World Series, most of those guys got pay boosts without you know being qualified for arbitration. I know Chris Bryant, even before that, got a little bit of a boost. And it makes a difference, I think, when you commit to these guys. And it may not seem like a lot, but not going to arbitration... It does make a difference because you don't have to go in and, like, throw down yeah. on your own players and bring up the negatives and kind of discourage them indirectly. Yeah. And maybe who knows what happened with Batances because he's been such a great player even in, in light of what was said about him. But I think it does make a difference. Yeah, when I mean, you don't want it. You don't the want that to side. be happening for yeah. sure. Yeah. Like, imagine, like, your boss going, you know, in front of all these people saying why you're bad and not worth a certain salary. Like, you don't want to. No. And, and again, you know, they, they do get
0: contentious. You know, I mean, you're talking about millions of dollars and, you know, for, for either side, you know, I think certainly in, in most cases, it's, uh, sort of, Funny or something to whatever degree, you know that you have the 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 teams debating over you know hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars as if that makes a difference to most of them. <laughs> um, but you know that's just the process, and like you said, Brendan, it it is all about precedent. So the reason that the teams are so careful and and willing to even engage in these contentious things with their own players is that if they just start handing out big money you know, and going with whatever the players are asking for, well, there, you you know, you've set the precedent for the future now. So, uh, and everything is just compared to the other agreements. So you gotta, you know, from the team's perspective, they're going to kind of always want to be careful about that stuff. But the only other thing I, I really wanted to point out on, on the arbitration stuff, um, was the, those last three guys, Schwarber, Montgomery, and Edwards. I, I know that I, I think all three of them in particular uh, for various portions of the fan base, you know, they're they're kind of liable to draw some ire from uh, different groups. There's, you know, there's just, there's a good section of the fan base that does not think Kyle Schwarber is good, that does not think he's, uh, you know, as valuable as other people think he, he is. Some people that don't like Mike Montgomery don't think he's worth keeping around. Same with Carl Edwards. Um... But really, I just, you know, it's just worth noting that obviously I don't agree with that on either three of those guys. I think these guys are, are very valuable players to this team um, in in varying degrees. But $3 million for Kyle Schwarber is an absolute steal. And, you know, again, that's how this process works. Um, but Kyle Schwarber was a 3.2 win player last year with a 343 WOBA and a 115 WRC+. plus you you cannot you cannot get that for three million dollars guys uh on the free agent market you will not find that level of production uh for a three million dollar contract and the flexibility that someone that mike montgomery gives to this team for two and a half million dollars i mean look at what these relievers some of these relievers get nowadays uh and even what you know the cubs are paying a 30, what, eight-year-old Cole Hamels or whatever he is, um, you know, yeah. $2.5 million dollars for a guy that has been a really good spot starter for you, who adds length and depth to that bullpen when you move him out of the rotation. And, you know, you certainly can't necessarily pay him just for this. But he does get a, a pretty big out in in, in Cubs history uh, that he's on the mound for. Which out so, was that, Corey? I forget. It was actually when the Cubs won Game 7 of the World ah, Series. Mike Montgomery right. on the mound. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. I, I mean even <laughs> I forget that. The Cubs did win the World Series, correct? Yes. Right. Um glad we got that in. But yes. you know, two and a half million dollars. It's like these are, you know, I, I, I understand I think when, you know, sometimes especially with where the Cubs are and, and what we've heard this off season, you know, I understand some people's reservations uh, you know, like last off season when they were talking about the Darvish contract and, you know, looking at uh, Hayward's contract, I understand that, that there's a reservation to big contracts and big money. But contracts like this, guys, I, you know, would not be concerning myself with. And I, it wasn't a lot of people, but you just do still see people who are just like, Kyle Schwarber is the overrated, this, that, and the other. It's like, he might be overrated
1: to some, but for $3 million, he's certainly not overpaid. Yeah, and I think, I mean, someone made a point too. If you look at the difference in offense created between Javi and Schwarber, they're separated by only like nine players in Major League Baseball, which considering what people think Schwarber did last year, it's, it's kind of funny when you look at it. And it does, again, it sets the foundation and the precedence for future arbitration discussions. So the fact that Schwarber's is making $3 million, it does influence the 2020 2021 and 2022 hearings I think he's going to be super too eligible Not, I don't actually don't know but regardless even if Schwarber does go off next year he's going to make more money yes but that precedence that he had this year will deflate that value a little bit and and just going off that if the Cubs are going to get this type of value from Schwarber going forward like sign me up too like he's still a three-win player Another defensive metrics may have skewed some of that war, but I think, at least in my eyes, I know you you feel the same way, Corey, and a lot of the fan base uh, feels the same way. He played well defensively last year, and I think we all agree that Schwarber's ceiling is so much higher than a three forty three Woba. I think we all know that. So, as a three million base setting the precedence going forward, maybe, maybe that's the biggest story from arbitration, but it should not go under notice. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, for sure. So I, I think that's that's really all the the notes I I had there. I mean, I, I think that, you know, you touched on it just a little bit, but the only other thing I would say is I think that both Brendan and I have said our piece on the Addison Russell situation. But the only thing I would point out about this, I, I know that uh, many, I think ourselves included, were kind of hoping that the Cubs would just move on from him. Um, and, you know, whether you like, hearing about how much money he's making or whatever, uh the fact that this is done with and that he has a salary number for twenty eighteen, like Brennan says, it does make it easier for them to move him. Because again, like their, their payroll, they they now know what the salary is. And yeah. that's and so important to this. So if if you if you're among the group hoping that they, they, they move him from the team, again, I you know, I, I know many were hoping they would just dump him, but this does make it easier for them to do that uh i i know that you know people are, are still not thrilled but that's just uh what the cubs decided to do unfortunately guys as we go forward here like it's kind of out of our hands as far as that situation goes it's it's up to the cubs and what they do and you know that's there's nothing that any of us can really do about it so uh anyway let's go to uh really the only i think cubs related rumor that we've gotten Recently, I mean, you know, obviously we still hear the the Cubs loosely, vaguely, quietly, secretly, whatever, you know, other words you want to throw out there to to guys like Bryce Harper, um, but the one that that came up this weekend, Brendan, was that the San Diego Padres are interested in and maybe have uh communicated that interest in a one David Bodie. And there were no real mm-hmm. specifics on that, uh, though the Cub, the Padres, excuse me, do have a, d- a decent number of guys that I think would be rather interesting to the Cubs, uh, namely guys in that bullpen, uh, and I, I don't know you know, what the deal would have to be to, you know, make something like it happen. But someone like Austin Hedges, we talked a lot uh, about the Cubs maybe wanting to and, and needing to improve their backup catching situation uh, from last year. So the Padres is an interesting team. And this rumor has, not surprisingly, elicited a pretty strong response. Um, I have seen on the Cubs Insider article about it, uh, about this rumor, um, and, you know, on, on places like Bleacher Nation, etc., cetera, basically, you know, there's a lot of passionate, you know, N.O., to this, this proposed situation. There are a lot <laughs> yeah. of, you know, uh, David Bodie fanatics out there that are just not having this rumor. And I don't think it helps, Brendan, that every time we see one of these articles, and I think, uh, Cubs Insider was, was also in this group, the, the picture with the rumor is naturally of the The walk-off Grand grand slam, So you're you're kind of uh, setting people up to think like, well, do you want to trade this guy, you know, who provided this moment? So so perhaps it's a little bit of a a created bias there. Um, But I guess we'll we'll start – what do you think about, you know, maybe moving Bodie and particularly how do you like the Padres as a trade fit for the Cubs – uh, and then we can get to which I think will be the the larger discussion since we're on the topic of exactly what we're thinking of David Bodie. because I'll, I'll tip my hand here I think people reacted way too strongly um, in terms of their you know being
1: adamant about not moving David Bodie. so the Padres moved Will Myers to left field and that's opening up some infield spots which is why this rumor is coming about um, I guess first thing. I don't know. I don't really see any players in the Padres that stand out other than Austin Hedges. But, like, Austin Hedges is a former top prospect, still has a very high ceiling. He's currently the number one catcher for the Padres. I I don't see the Cubs being able to land Hedges for Bodie straight up. What does that mean? We're going to have to package Bodie with another nice piece for the Padres. What does that mean? Who knows? Maybe Addison Russell. Uh, the Padres don't have a strong shortstop option right now. They have Urias as their starting shortstop. So if that's what the Cubs are thinking, like if it's Bodie and Russell for Hedges, like hell yeah, like sign me up for that. But I I, I don't see even that maybe being an appealing option for San Diego. Who knows what they think? But from a bullpen point of view, it's kind of the same thing. I mean, there's a few interesting arms like Yates. Uh in Matt and Strom. But like I, again, I don't, I don't know. I've always been kind of opposed from trading within like young major league position players for relievers. I've I have do not know, I've always been kind of opposed to that. And that's not to say that I think Bodhi is going to be this valuable everyday position player, but at the very least, he's a good depth piece. Plays second base, third base, even some, some shortstop has a great glove, could even play in the outfield perhaps. So I, I think it does open a discussion of like, hey, what's Bodie's role going to be in a healthy Cubs roster? And of course, KB will be a third base. Uh For the time being, Hobby's going to be a second base. Where is Bodie going to play? And I, I do think that's a discussion worth having. And it does perhaps open up the possibility that the Cubs trading him makes more sense. But if... Russell's future with the Cubs is uncertain beyond the suspension for domestic violence. I, 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 I don't know. I think Bodie may have more of a role than, than we even anticipate. So it, I guess to sum up my thoughts on this, I'm okay trading Bodie. I agree with you that the response was kind of like overwhelmingly, surprisingly no, but I just don't see the Padres being a fit for Bodie
0: yeah I think of course that's the the natural caveat is I I, I agree with you there. I, I think almost completely that I it all depends on the trade. I you know being okay trading David Bodie doesn't mean that I'm willing to sell him for nothing. He's a very valuable player for the Cubs and I think someone who, if he does have a role, I'm very interested to see how he does. He, he's uh someone that really performed well at basically every defensive position they asked him to play, often making really sparkling defensive plays. Um And I think
1: that's what you and I have always been most impressed about when it comes to Bodie is mm-hmm. like, you can visibly see this guy is a hell of a defender. Yeah. I mean, he, he's actually naturally a second baseman he came up and played lights out defense that was the most impressive thing beyond the walk-offs and the bat for me absolutely and i mean
0: i you know it's it's certainly kind of an anecdotal memory at this point but you know he's he's someone that just displays a large amount of confidence that that comes across Uh, on the screen or, you know, when you watch him live and, you know, this is a guy who, who just came up into a team with very high expectations and, you know, he's making barehanded pick after barehanded pick at third base like it's nothing. And we also talked too about the, that it's not for nothing that this guy was coming up and, performing in these big moments um you know th- this is a guy who routine you know what did he have two walk-off home runs three walk or he had two walk-offs and then he also uh tied that Diamondbacks backs he had before a walk, the walk, walk well. off. he had he had walk offs. yes three he did have a right the walk-off walk <laughs> the walk-off um walk. But, you know, that's, that's not for nothing. This is a guy who came up and just, you know, continued how he performed in spring training and in the minors and, you know, really didn't miss a beat jumping into what I have to imagine is one of the higher pressure situations in baseball. Not because the Cubs are a pressure filled environment, quite the opposite, but it's a big market team with a a rabid fan base that we're all uh, obviously a part of and that had big expectations, you know, coming off of uh, a disappointing uh, 2017 season. And, you know, he didn't miss a beat. I mean, uh, you know, he's hitting walk-offs, he's he's performing. Um, But the thing with Bodie is, and, and the reason that I said that people were perhaps a little too adamant about, you know, not trading him is that his second half was not good. And it was uh, really quite different than his first half. And you know that's just the reason that you know at a certain point we talk about this all the time that you can't hoard everybody right we we may at some point have to be willing to either move some of these guys or reduce their playing time if you you know bring in other guys and the the disparity between once pitchers kind of got a better idea of what not to do to David Bodie um, you know probably prior to Ryan Madsen getting that memo to not throw that fastball uh, just low in in, in that zone uh for that walk yeah, off fastballs rest of the
1: year after that, after that. Yeah,
0: right <laughs> and but there's a very big disparity which which reflects that the 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 league's pitching made an adjustment to him and Bodie did not really adjust back and of course that's not to say that he couldn't it was his first year and you know he's been a, an impressive hitter uh but it does raise the question of, you know, well, where exactly can we reasonably expect this guy to perform and what role are we comfortable giving him? So just to, to read through some of these numbers um, – a 310 batting average, 415 on-base percentage, 452 slugging percentage, which is good for an 867 OPS in the first half. Those numbers in the second half, a 218 batting average, a 287 on-base percentage, 394 slugging percentage, good for a 681 OPS. So obviously some striking differences there. Uh but in the first half he walked at a 15.1% clip and struck out at a 22.6% clip, those numbers in the second half, a 7% walk rate. So cut that uh, over in half and a 30.6k rate. So basically all those numbers, Brendan, going in the absolute wrong direction. So again, it's just to say, it's not really that surprising. He's a young player who was, uh, you know, really hot at, at the bat in, in spring training and when he was in the minors before being called up. Um, he he kept that going for a good while and, you know, ha- has to adjust. But, again, I think that's the key is is just that um, I'm not – definitely not pushing him out the door. Quite the opposite. I, You're I'm, just not sold on his bat. Right? I, I'm just not sold on, uh, you know, we cannot trade this guy – you know, because he's going to be our starting second baseman for years. I just don't, I, I don't think that we're at a place where we can make a conclusion like that. And, uh, so I'm open to the idea. Um, but again, like I, I think we've said on here a number of times that we're rather intrigued with this guy and really looking forward to seeing what he's able to put together for 2019. I'm just not, you know, I, I he's, you know, Theo said earlier in this offseason that nobody is untouchable. Um, even though that's sort of not true <laughs> that's not that's not really true yeah <laughs> um uh but I'm not in my group, David Bodie's not in that group right now and and you know part of that again is just where they are in terms of their roster construction and, you know, not really knowing exactly what they're going to be doing going forward. Because I think you're right. I I think a key concern here is, you know, at at a certain point, you just have too many position players, like they cannot all play. And I think we all agreed and saw that that, you know, sometimes, is to the detriment of the players. We've praised Joe Madden endlessly for his ability to put these players in positions to succeed, and that asking them to play more and do more is not always the answer. But there are times, you know, and I think the Ian Happ Albert Almora thing is is maybe a good example of this, where that's a successful strategy a lot of the time but there there may reach a point where you kind of need to just let these guys play and either figure it out or you know fail completely and you know that's just an example of two guys sharing one position you know but you look at the Cubs entire roster and there's a lot of bodies and there's just not room for everybody and like you said if they're going to bring Addison Russell back when he's finished with his domestic violence suspension they're obviously at that point they're intent on playing him so he's going to be playing javi Baez needs to play anthony rizzo plays every day chris bryant plays every day the catching plays every day (laughs) yeah the, the the catching situation is the catching situation um you know but then you know you get into the outfield there's a lot of bodies there already so it, it just gets to a point where we can't hold on to everybody. So I definitely am not selling David Bodie for pennies on the dollar. I'm, you know, looking at that first half. And the way that he played defense, the fact that he was able to be so versatile for this team and obviously would be for any team if he were traded. Um, so I'm making sure I'm getting the right value for him if I'm moving, which is true of all of these guys. That's true of Albert Amora. That's true of Ian Happ if they decide to move him. True of Kyle Schwarber if they decide to move him. Like They they have to be getting the right value for me to be comfortable with it. But at a certain point, they, they just can't keep all of these guys. So I think for someone who has yet to prove they're an everyday player, as Bodie has not, I'm open to the idea
1: that that's where I land with this. It's kind of funny, too, because this is the exact same conversation we had in August of last year, which points to just how inactive this offseason has been. We talked about this. Our idea was, hey, when Chris Bryan comes back, and I swear to God, I even titled a podcast episode exactly like this, what do you do with David Bodie? Right, And guess what? Chris Bryant's going to be back. Javi Baez is an MVP caliber player. What are you going to do with him? And there's there's part of me that, first, there, there's two sides of like my fandom, I guess, with, with Bodie. One is I want the Cubs to do what's best for the Cubs. And right now, that means David, Bo- David Bodie is not an everyday player. Like, that's just how it is, guys. I, I don't think you can make the argument that. At this point, Bodie deserves to play exclusively eighty percent of the games. You can maybe make that with Russell, but it's gonna be
0: challenging. Well, and you'd have to do some just for that in particular, you'd have to do some very tricky maneuvering. Cause yeah. you know, there's guys and I when I just went through some of those position plays, I didn't even get to Ben Zobrist. I didn't
1: even name Ben Zobrist yet. It, so it's like it's, so I mean that's what I mean too. I mean that's yeah. another great point too, is like, okay, you have Ben Zobrist who if he's gonna play just like he did in twenty eighteen. He's got to play 80% of the games too I don't care how old he is you need to win games right so where do you play these guys that's 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 one side of me that I totally understand it's the more rational side the irrational side is I like David Bodie I yeah. I don't know I just I like the guy I like oh, no, watching it. him play baseball like I I love his defense I think when you have coaches like Brian Butterfield, express enthusiasm about his defense you got to pay attention to that i'm not saying you're not or whatever i'm just saying you know this is how i kind of perceive this at at the same time though like i i i I don't know there's there's a difference between being excited about a guy and being realistic and once pitchers made those changes especially to where they're throwing their fastballs Bodie couldn't catch up to a high fastball and he hasn't shown the ability to adjust that do i think he can adjust? Yeah, I think he can adjust. He's a major league player. Of course he possibly could adjust. But that that's that's where I am with this. So I, I share a lot of the same sentiments of fans who are like, no, don't trade David Bodie. Cause yeah, it's fun to watch the guy play. This is mm-hmm. entertaining. Like I want to see something fun. But at the same time, ah oh, man, if you're gonna try to get a if you're gonna try to bolster the team for 2019, maybe it just makes more sense to go out and even though it's against kind of my principle. Go get that reliever, and if David David Bodie is the tipping point in a package to get back a more reliable reliever, yeah, maybe that does make more sense, Corey.
0: Yeah, no, I I totally get the the I understand why so many people were like, oh no, like keep your hands off David Bodie. because again, I think we've been you know kind of gushing over the guy since he came up. Um, so I, I think we're sort of in that group but just trying to you know be. I guess, a little more pragmatic about it. But I also think it, you know, this is one of those things that it matters the timing of all of this. And I think David Bodie, if he had come up in a different year at a different time, like they might have the ability to, you know, afford him more innings and let him, like you said, make those adjustments to now pitchers working more elevated in the zone against him at the major league level. But right now, yeah. coming off two unsuccessful, two, you know, the Cubs' expectations at this point, seasons, where, you know, everybody's freaking out about how much money they have. It's going to be hard, like you said, you, to get him the opportunities, I think, to really see if he can make those adjustments in earnest. And that's just the way it is. That's just where the Cubs are right now, and there's a reason that Theo talked this offseason about the notion of production over talent, and I, I think that that kind of is is the moral of this David Bodie situation, if there ends up being one, uh, but whether he's moved or not, it, it is something to think about just from his outlook on 2019. You know, the the Cubs need to produce. They need to win. The division has gotten better. If we don't see any major moves from this front office the rest of the offseason, as they've told us a number of times, they're going to rely on the internal players to make these changes and to be better. And what that means is that not everybody's going to have all the time in the world to succeed and fail and adjust and and do all those things that they need to at the major league level i think javi is a really good example of someone who was afforded that time and the cubs are you know obviously reaping the rewards of that but you hit a point in in how many position players you end up collecting who need those opportunities and again just the urgency that this team has to win games that I, I don't know that that's going to be there. And, you know, again, in other years, right, like I think you think as 2016 especially, you know, the Cubs are a billion games in first place by June, you know, so they can, you know, kind of get some guys in there figure some stuff out, right? Like the division is theirs. They have all the time in the world. And at least hitting the ground running in 2019 right now That's not the case. They 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 don't have the ability to be messing around. They gotta hit the ground running day one in Texas winning games. And that's not necessarily to say David Bodie can't be a part of that, but they're gonna need people to be producing right away. And I think they're gonna have to defer to getting those players in the lineup. And it's just a logjam. They just have a lot of position players. That's what happens, Brendan, when you only draft uh, position players in these top rounds you, you know you end up with a little bit
1: too many too many cooks in the kitchen let me ask you a question it's kind Please of do. putting you on the spot oh, here great and i, love I that. You know i love doing this to you but i'm <laughs> going to ask it anyway because it's a good question would you right now and this is your personal opinion would you right now rather trade Bodie or almora and you get back the same package <laughs> it's a tough one. Do you want man. me to go first to give you some time? No, oh man, that's a tough one. Honestly, See, in, I'll I'll grant you the opportunity to change your mind. You know, in a different episode, if you, if you'd like, because I know it's it's a difficult question to to answer. I you know I think it would depend on.
0: Oh man, that's a it's tough question package. because it's, it's a tough package. question because they're they're in different position groups. So I'm trying to think of the ramica- ramifications of moving the one. And not moving the other. I, I think at the moment, I my answer might be Bodie, um simply just because I'm, I'm thinking of who would be in the outfield every day. And I don't know how comfortable I am committing to those, uh, you know, three or I guess you could throw Zobrist or Bryant, etc. out there. Um, but even then, Zobris, you got the
1: health issue. Yes, of course. But issues, I, yeah, so. I mean, I guess
0: I'm just, I'm, I'm thinking, I don't know if they're not going to make a move for not even necessarily Harper, but, you know, someone like, I, you know, I don't know, uh, AJ Pollock or Marwin Gonzalez, any of these guys who could also play the outfield. Um, I don't know if i right now, right I,
1: now in absence. Yeah. No, of then, any free I, then I think I'm saying Bodie.
0: I, I don't know if I'm comfortable going into the season with, you know, Schwarber, Happ and Hayward. Covering the outfield, you know, basically every day saves some, you know, uh, substitutions and stuff. I don't, I don't really know, uh, how comfortable I am with that. I, I, I think that, you know, I don't know how thrilled I am at, at HAP and Amora heading into a season where they're, you know, maybe going to be platooning again a lot. Um, but I think absent adding anybody else to that mix, that that's probably the best option. And just looking at the infield, I'm not really seeing where Bodie is going to get the right opportunity to to play these games. If if we knew that they were planning to move on from Russell and Javi was going to be the everyday shortstop, um, you know, no matter what, uh, or something like that, it it maybe changes the the outlook. But unfortunately, three of the guys that are not going anywhere and play every day play on the infield, right? So. Yeah. There's not—and I'm not—again, I'm not really even considering the Wilson or the catchers. Like, they're the catchers. They're in their own thing, even though Wilson, you know, sometimes gets thrown in the outfield. Um, but Brian's playing every day. Baez is playing yep. every day. Rizzo's playing every day. Brian's the only one who ever plays another position, um, meaning a, another position group, like the outfield, of that group. So— I'm, I, you know, I just think when you know they added Daniel Descalso and you know whatever you think of Daniel Descalso, they went out and got him. So they're planning to use him at least. And at he some got
1: 415 plate appearances last season, guys. Right? Like he was not. He's not like, hey, Tommy Lastella, Stella, yeah, he's not guy. Yeah, he's gonna I'm going to take it at bat. You know once a
0: week or something like that they're gonna play him every now and again so uh you know then you've got I didn't didn't even
1: think about that (laughs) you've
0: got Baez again playing every day so I just yeah not uh I I I think my my gut answer on that would I guess I'd, I'd be more comfortable um moving Bodhi just based on all of these factors. I, maybe a different question as to who I think has the better career, maybe who's the better overall player. I'd have to think about that a little longer, and maybe I would lean Bodie in that one. Yeah. Um, but in yeah. terms of who I think is the better fit to be traded right now, I I think it's Bodie just based on just the roster construction and and, and just what I'm trying, at least in this, you know, you putting me on the spot here, trying to figure out where the playing time is going to go.
1: So I have a response to my own answer. Okay, it's kind <laughs> okay, of, <laughs> kind of weird, but I I agree with you. One, I rather trade Bodie than Amora right now, only because of the roster construction, not for 2019, but just for future years as well. I mean, you have Happ, Amora, Schwarber; they're going they're going to be in a team for the next three years at the minimum. So that that's why. Now, just to go off what you were saying. I think Bodhi has a higher ceiling. I, at any time a player has as much power potential as Bodhi, you're, you're going to have a higher ceiling than someone who profiles as like a five to 10 homer guy as Amora does right now. So that's why. And if I didn't see Bodhi play as well defensively, if the numbers, if the defensive metrics weren't as high on Bodhi, I probably would go with Amora having a higher ceiling, but. Given that Bodie is a sound infielder across two positions and given the power potential and some of the patience that he's shown and the unique career trajectory, I don't think you should ignore that either. I give the upper hand to Bodie in that regard. But like you're saying, Hap, despite him hitting above league average last year, that defense concerns me. Schwarber, despite him being above average both defensively and offensively. I'm still. I want to see more from Schwarber hitting lefties. I want to see how he ages, etc. So I think the outfield is more of a question mark at the moment, and because of that, you get more depth with Amora. And it's not to say that he's a better player than Bodie. It just goes back to saying, okay, yeah, the way the Cubs are made up right now from a position core perspective probably makes more sense to entertain trade offers for an infielder, which means Bodie's probably on top of that list.
0: Yeah, I think uh, generally in agreement there. So, Brennan, last thing I was going to forget this, you were going to forget this. Um, I, I I think I know why. I, I can probably figure out why we were both trying to avoid talking about this. Uh, but the Brewers got better uh, this week. In our in our in our pre-podcast prep, neither of us remembered that this happened. Subconscious. Uh, I, uh, yeah, I'm ignorance. going to say that it's it's a subconscious <laughs> thing. Um, the Brewers getting Yasmani Grandal on a one-year deal worth just over eighteen million dollars. The the first thought that I have, Brendan, is how on earth did everybody else let that happen? That is barely above the qualifying offer that I that he turned down from the Dodgers. Mm-hmm. So he he only gets a year as the best catcher available on the free agent market and barely above what the Dodgers were just going to give him. So I I was sort of shocked by that. And, of yeah, course, shocked, too. you know, unfortunately for the Cubs, it has to be the Brewers who are the beneficiaries yeah. of this, you know, weirdly short-term and cheap deal. Um, so I'll kick it to you. Just, to, just any thoughts on, you know, uh, now – Joining the Cardinals, uh, other teams in the NL Central, you know, bolstering their their squad. There,
1: it's it's a huge loss for the Cubs, man. Um, you know, take what you want about Yasmani's defense in the playoffs, but according to most metrics over the years, I know I've watched Yasmani since his San Diego days. He's been a consistent fantasy catcher on my team over the years. The guy plays well and for him just to get a little bit above the qualifying offer is shocking, especially when you consider guys who were similar to him, you know, two, three, four years ago, like Russell Martin, for example, get over $80 million. I mean, even Miguel Montero at the time got almost $40 million, and Yasmani grindal is only getting a one-year contract? That is absurd. That's insane. And At least according to the catching metrics, he's the best defensive catcher in the league. I believe it. The guy receives like a machine. He frames extremely well. And when you compare that to what the Brewers' alternative was, which was basically nothing. It was Steven Vogt and that other guy whose name I'm forgetting right now. Like this is a four to five win upgrade potentially at a price that's like below, well below market value for someone like Yasmani. Yeah. So it's a big loss. And... Like, I wrote about this too, just briefly. You compare Yasmani to, to Wilson and Caratini, and you're basically adding the best catcher in the league defensively, whereas the Cubs are still trying to get their ground in terms of framing pitches and not costing guys like Hendricks and Lester strikes on those corners. And I, and like, I love Wilson. We've always said this, but. If you're watching the majority of the games, you're with us. Like you've seen at times Wilson just not frame well, and it's kind of irritating. And so I, I think when you contrast Yasmani to the Cubs catching crew, when you contrast Yasmani to what the Brewers' alternative was, you're basically the NL Central just added the best defensive catcher in the league, and way better than some of the guys, even within the within the their own division. So it's a huge, huge pickup for the Brewers. A massive loss for the Cubs, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't know if I'm throwing around the words "massive."
1: Uh, I think it's massive, uh, with, man. He's well, a five-win player. Yeah.
0: the The thing that bothers me the most is that at that price too, Corey, right, At That price, th- th- that like the Brewers are cutting salary now, and they picked this guy up. I don't I mean, know what on. the deal is, with, and maybe it's just because we're Cubs fans. Maybe the other teams experience this, and I, you know, I'm just not thinking of it, but. This is getting really old, Brendan, that the Cardinals and Brewers are—why are they the only teams that are able to pull off these bargain deals for these players? They get Christian Jelic. The Cardinals get Osuna. We're looking at these deals, and, like, every time one of these deals goes down, you know, you're going— I mean, even with Goldschmidt, and he's only there for a year, but you're looking at these deals going, nobody could have paid more than these prospects or whatever for for Christian Jelic, really? This is the best that the Marlins could get? Same with Goldschmidt. You're looking at this this haul from the Cardinals like— this is
1: what they're giving up for these guys. <laughs> and we're trading like Eloy Jimenez for Jose Quintana, right? You know? It's, like, it's, it's like, like, no, Why, no, why are, are the why are like.
0: these teams helping these two teams, particularly in the NL Central? Like, I, it, it's it's getting pretty annoying. And you know, again, it's 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 a it's a it's a big ad for the Brewers. And I think the most annoying part about it is that that this really helps them do what they did last year and continue that and maybe they can't repeat it with the same success but when you are a smaller market team like the brewers and you are relying on some of these lesser named pitchers and obviously turning the ball over to your bullpen at will right 162 games a year you're ready to just give the ball to the bullpen in the fifth inning you know what really helps make that strategy work one of the best if not the best Pitch framers and defensive catchers in the league. That's what really makes that uh, strategy work. And, you know, I don't think he has the best arm. And obviously, you know, everybody makes way too much of, uh, you know, a a few pass balls in the playoffs. I don't know why all of a sudden guys are – their whole career is judged on, you know, a couple games in the playoffs. But go ahead and sleep on the guy if you want because he dropped a few balls in the playoffs. I don't think that's very smart. But, yeah, the annoying thing for me is that this – you know, we – You, obviously, in particular, Brendan, have talked about guys like jihuly shasin and what really makes guys like that work is also having a catcher that gets him a few extra strikes that that calls a good game that receives a good game that that presents those pitches really well as stupid as all of that is right but that's how the game works it's part so, of the game man yeah. yeah so that's yeah i was not th- i was not thrilled about this and and if they were going to make a move like this i really wish that it were a contract that they were going to regret in you know a few years or something and it's the not one year it's a year, year
1: contract. Yeah, and like again, this is coming after like no more than 4 weeks ago from reports saying the the brewers are going to cut salary. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my god, this yeah, market no, I'm is just sure falling nine and they were not in their do this.
0: And then they called him and, you know, I I think earlier in the off season <laughs> we heard reports that he that there was maybe a four-year deal for him around four years 60 million dollars i think from the mets um and then they moved on quickly they signed i think wilson ramos and we're like all right we're done with this so go away yes money and so it it you know it sort of seems like some of these other situations we've seen in these last couple off seasons where a team really isn't necessarily intent on doing something but they keep checking in and eventually the contract and the price you're like yeah okay yeah You know, we weren't going to do this. But, yeah, a year for barely over the QO, like, sure. I mean, come
1: on. Yeah, it's annoying. It's really annoying.
0: And uh, we we need to do something. I don't know, Brendan. I don't know what you and I can do, but we need to do something to stop. Everybody needs to stop Stop treating the the Brewers and Cardinals like a charity. Like, make them pay through the nose for for your best players. Please, just stop giving them away for, uh, you know, a couple prospects and stuff like that.
1: I don't know, man. That's, that's, that's where I am. It's, it's been a frustrating offseason for yeah. me. I know it's not done yet and I know it's premature to jump the gun or whatever, but it, it does. It just kind of, it sucks. Like spring training yeah. is in three weeks away and we're, it's like nothing's done. It, and- it,
0: it's always going to be concerning and I think w- warranting, uh, uneasiness, if you will, um, that you didn't win the division and the other teams are, Consistently making moves to get better. And this
1: admits, and this and you we're know? not going to entertain it now, but like amidst reports of the Cubs, like, look, they're going to probably have the highest payroll in Major League Baseball going into next year. Like, that's going to be a thing. But it does suck hearing some reports say, like, you know, in future years, the Cubs may not be that top two payroll, which doesn't, you know, rest well with a lot of fans. And I get that. Yeah. It's just been a weird offseason. Again, we're not going to go into that. That's a topic for a different day or whatever, yeah. but you know but it's, that's that's where i am it's 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 been an off season where the net value
0: has been a negative i i don't know how else you could the cubs have lost players they haven't really added much um and again despite my constant reminder that i believe right now this team still wins the division i i have yet to be convinced otherwise um the overall off season has been a a net gain for the brewers at this point um and the cardinals. the cardinals, so i mean they're adding you know and again this is a division that the cubs didn't win so i i understand you know that uh and the reds too cory yes right also the reds right uh no. yeah so i understand you know that I, I i understand when i see some people um you know getting pretty unnerved here with what's going on but again we're 29 days away from them showing up in spring training so at the very least um it will soon not necessarily be a hypothetical situation and we can you know kind of just watch it all play out uh for better or worse but i think that's all we have for you again same caveat as always we are we are more than ready to get back uh and and rip into two podcasts a week or, or jump in midweek when when something finally happens but we uh Still waiting, folks, so that has yet to happen but but stick with us we'll 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 talk to you guys again next Monday uh, again, as always, uh unless Bryce Harper shows up at the Cubs convention or something along those lines, um, and we will break it down. so if you are going to the Cubs convention, I hope you guys have a good time uh see some familiar faces uh you know i've i've met a lot of people from social media throughout the years at at different cubs events and it's always a good time always good to to put the faces to the names and meet people who are uh as obsessed with this major league baseball team as we are so uh have a good time if you're doing that and you know we'll talk about obviously anything interesting that happens i'm i'm kind of hoping or at least curious to see if there's some interesting interactions with maybe Theo or Tom Ricketts and and some of the the fans when they're allowed to ask questions I, I think there's uh, as you guys might know some interesting topics that that people may ask uh, may have some opinions on, Brendan. I don't know. Maybe some people have some strong opinions on some of this stuff that they might now have the opportunity to express directly to these guys' faces. So uh, we will break all that down and, of course, anything else that goes on as we uh, are now just weeks away from pitchers and catchers reporting. As always, we thank you guys for listening. We're available on iTunes. We appreciate those reviews every time. We are—I uh, I, swear—Brendan and I send each other a message every time we see one. We are uh, humbled, and it's remarkable to the both of us that so many people listen and are willing to take that time to uh, not only listen but express that they enjoy it and and you know that it, it's part of their week. And we really appreciate that. Um, we are also available on Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher. Um, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R, which is the uh, new name for the Blog Talk radio feed. And if we are not somewhere where you need us to be, uh, just let us know. We got on Spotify that way, so we are always happy to look into it. But other than that, we will talk to you guys soon, and whether they are playing or not, go Cubs.
1: Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.